Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. As we talk all about spinal stenosis in this episode, you're going to hear how common it is. And the one thing that I hear with anyone who's had or experienced back pain, whether they've had surgery or not, is that the moment they start activating and actually using their glutes in exercise and really feeling that connection, their back pain magically starts to go away. And this isn't something I'm just saying. I promise you, I hear it all the time. So we've talked about the COPA board on here as well in the past. And if you haven't heard about it, it's just this tiny little board that you can like store away or you can use to actually stand on and build those glutes. The shape of the board naturally puts the body in a position that is really advantageous to naturally allow the glutes to work so that the back isn't taking over and the knees aren't dominating with like a lot of quad work, which is what a lot of people end up feeling when they're trying to do exercises activating the glutes. So we love this board and we love having people use it in their home because there's different resistances. It's not too much load. And so it's going to safely load the spine and the back but utilize those glutes to do the powerful work in order to help to relieve some of that pain that you could be having in the back. Now, if you haven't checked it out yet, go check out the link in our show notes. Use code OPTIMAL and you get 15% off of the board as well. Spinal stenosis. This is one that I am really kind of excited to talk into because I feel like it's a diagnosis that so many people will get later in life. And it's something that it's another one of those back or neck kind of pain disorders that we feel like we need to surrender to and that there's no other solutions. And I talked with a lot of people, especially I I just, since I worked mostly in Minnesota when I was working as a PT in like farm country, there were all these old farm, farm men and women, mostly men in my experience that would come in and be like, oh, I've got this stenosis. I've got this pain in my back. And they really didn't feel like they would have any other solution. Yeah, I know. I mean, and I love that you already point out the fact that this is a common diagnosis. So, you know, and even if you feel like you're not sure if this is your diagnosis, you haven't been told, this is also a reason why I don't like to just jump to like, let's figure out the diagnosis because what happens in aging anyways is kind of what happens with spinal stenosis. So let's talk about what that is first of all. Yeah. So like stenosis itself literally just means like the narrowing of something or less space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about all the time how our body, our nerves, our tendons, our blood vessels, they don't like it when they don't have a lot of space because it really narrows down the area that they have to send messages and to send nutrients. Yeah. And to and to move within like, right, if we if we narrow a space, if we constrict a space, we don't have as much freedom of movement and some things can feel a little tight, a little pinchy sometimes and cause signals of pain. Now, we also know that back pain is nonspecific. So we can't say that just by just, yes, you have back pain, but we can't say that just by looking at your MRI that says, oh, you have spinal stenosis. That might not still be the reason why you're having pain. It could be related, but we can't say that that's everything and there is ways to relieve this tension and this pain that we're going to talk about. Absolutely. And when you say spinal stenosis, like 
there's so much in the spine. Yeah. What is actually stenosing? What is actually <laughs> stenosing? narrowing? I, I totally just made that up. Not is gonna that find, how you talk about your, Not going to find clients? that one in a lot of textbooks. Um, <laughs> but what is actually narrowing? There's so many things that yeah. can be narrowing down and, and getting smaller. We have, we have our central canal, yes. which is that's where the spinal cord itself, the, the spinal column, where mm-hmm. the main central nervous or the central area of that spinal cord is housed. That can be narrowing itself. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, you know, we'll kind of go into some of the different things within that that could be growing that might be causing less space. Right. And I mean, typically we see this, you know, more around the neck, your cervical area or your low back, like the lumbar area. And you also can get a reduced, you know, amount of blood flow or blood supply to this area yeah. because of that narrowing. And we also can get narrowing in like the openings where the nerve roots kind of come out as well. So, Because the whole vertebrae itself, like you have these little holes around your bones that allow for from the spinal cord, like those nerve roots to come out. So, yes, if we're going to get narrowing of those vertebrae, you know, altogether, then everything is going to kind of get narrowed. And what we can get is some growth around that area as well. It's kind of like the same as what we talked about in the osteoarthritis episode as well or the arthritis episode. I mean, we've done episodes on both of those things. Yeah. And in arthritis or in this process of spinal stenosis, a lot of people with some spinal arthritis (laughs) might get spinal stenosis because some of the things that may have growth in arthritis. And here's something that we can understand is growth. If something's growing, something else is losing space Mm -hmm. or something else might be getting, you know, impeded on. Well, why might there be growth happening in the first place. And what does that mean? Because if someone's thinking like, how is something growing in my back? (laughs) That's kind of causing a narrowing of space. Totally. So a few things that might, you know, affect the amount of space that the nerves and the blood vessels have to communicate could be our discs. You know, we see degeneration in our discs, these things that are meant to give some cushion and meant to give some support between Mm -hmm. our vertebrae. And, you know, we see protrusions, disc herniations, disc prolapse. Like Those are all things that can happen. And again, if that comes back into the central canal or to the side where the lateral kind of foramen are, where, like Jen mentioned, those nerve roots come out, that can cause a stenosis in a sense because it's just going to take up some of that space. Right. And just like we know, like with arthritis, when bones start to kind of compress on each other, it can start to have like little osteophytes and things that start to build around those areas. So that's where we get like kind of the multiple of cells starting to grow and and growths within that area. Again, not necessarily bad, but we get to learn, okay, how can we take pressure off of this area? Because if we think about it, if my spine is getting compressed, how can I add some decompression? And it's not just leaning back on... (laughs) Not leaning back on a wall, not just... Well, not just going backwards on the... On, those. on a tilt table. Thank you. I was yeah. like, on... What Inversion is tables. Inversion table. Yes. Oh my gosh. I a need more coffee today. A lot of people will say, oh. Like, where's my brain? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get some. We'll get some in a minute here. <laughs> but those inversion tables, we, we talk to people all the time who are just like, oh, well, when I hop in my inversion table, yeah. it feels great. I'm like, perfect. You just go sit in your inversion table all day long. Like, it, do, like it, doesn't it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's not a long-term solution. No, it's such a short-term fix that it's like, yes, it can bring you relief for that moment, but then we 
get you back up and you stand. And the moment you stand, you're going to compress your spine. And it's yeah. not, that shouldn't be a scary thing, right? It's learning how to decompress with the, our everyday movements. But an yeah. inversion table isn't going to give you that. And how to support within that gravity, like how to, how to support exactly. the gravity caused compression because we're going to get that on all of our joints spine included 100 percent. and so that's where i'm just going to put this out there like if there's other things that you can try first before wasting not wasting (laughs) (laughs) before spending your money on an inversion table i would encourage you to try these other solutions we're going to talk about first before running and getting the thing that's supposed to quote unquote fix you. And I'm, I'm glad that you kind of caught yourself and didn't say wasting because inversion tables can give a lot of people a lot of relief. Yes, yes, yes. And if that's something that you're <laughs> finding amazing relief from and it gives that, you know, takes some of that pressure off your system, awesome. Or now, it gives the opportunity for you to then go and exercise. Thank you. Totally just, <laughs> yeah, that hijacked my thought. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's once you get that relief and get those muscles and that tension to, to kind of give a little bit, then how can we find some support in our core, find some more support from our glutes, our, our buns, to then support that low back or same up in the shoulders? Mm-hmm. How can we reposition and breathe a little bit differently so we're not having so much tension in our upper back? An inversion table might very well be a part of that journey for you. Yeah, exactly. And we know that, I mean, just going back to, you know, just looking through some of the research, we know that it's it's not very common congenitally. So, yeah, you mean that would be more like something you're born with? Yes. You know, if you say someone with spina bifida or somebody who has a tethered cord, which basically means the bottom of your your um, spinal cord is kind of adhered down to your tailbone, essentially, if I'm going to put it simply. That those are different things that you're born with that could cause less space or a narrowing of the space. That's only about in nine percent of people, which yeah. actually, when I uh, I remember of people who have this, not nine yes, percent of people total. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I remember um, Brendan Bouchard, who is a very big name in like you know business, personal development, online marketing. If you've heard his name before, he actually has some spina bifida. And mm-hmm. so he's had to, and and this guy moves around a ton. Like he is never sitting still. Anytime I was around him, he's always up and going and doing. And and what what I think is super cool is he's learned how to incorporate a lot of what we're going to talk about. I mean, he's even said how he's looked through my page and used some of the movements for his hip mobility to help improve and relieve some pain. And I've seen his routine before he gets up on stage as well. He is doing so much to continue to to work with when within what he has naturally within his body so anyways that's a little tangent i think is super cool just confirms what we're about to dive into yeah and we we mentioned a few of the things that can you know kind of cause this impingement on the space of the spinal cord or the nerves um there are many 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 others which is where again we can't say oh spinal stenosis it's specifically this that is your issue Mm because we can have abnormal fat deposits um, Mm -hmm. either within the spine around those you know neural foramen or even the the spinal cord itself it has a lot of fat or myelin that helps to kind of insulate the spinal cord and we can get myelomas or lipomas which basically mean abnormal nerve or fatty growths and those are things that again they aren't going to be functional they're just going to take up space 
And there's a few other things, like if you get an infection, mm -hmm. like say you have sepsis or you get a, an infection around or in your spinal cord, that's going to cause a lot of inflammation. And again, less space. Right. And even if you've had common injuries in the spine, a lot of trauma to the spine, and just in general, starting to develop some degeneration, which it for the most part is all going to be normal. Like mm -hmm. degeneration, aging, natural aging of our spine is going to happen. And yeah. so getting these diagnoses thrown on us of like, oh, this is why you have pain, right? Like, oh, there's it's almost like throw our hands up. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> but that's that's so not true. And that's almost why, again, I try to steer away from these concrete diagnoses that are causing your pain. Because, again, we cannot say that that is causing pain. And this is just a natural occurrence that kind of happens as we age. Absolutely. There's so many more studies that are coming out. Like I swear every month you hear another study that says, hey, we imaged a hundred healthy, normal, you know, asymptomatic people in their 40s and 90% of them had degeneration in their spine. Mm -hmm. But again, no, none of them had symptoms. None of them had anything. Right. I, I think that we're starting to look at these things proactively now rather than saying, oh, you have pain. Now let's go take an image and try to make a correlation. Now we're taking images of people who are healthy and normal and don't have any symptoms and seeing that a lot of these things come up on images anyway. Yeah. And none of them have pain. None, or very few of them have pain. So it's just like, okay, we can't say that because you have this on an image. That's what's causing this or. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's like such an important factor to continue to keep in mind because we know that like. 80 to 90 percent of people in this world are going to experience back pain at some point in life. And so just because you've seen an image at one point doesn't mean that that is the reason. I like I mean, you know, I I know clients who've come in and been like, oh, well, five years ago I had a disc herniation. And it's like, well, your your body's actually really good at resolving that itself. So it's probably not the issue here anymore. There's probably something else that's happening that's causing these these symptoms and sensations to come up to your brain to tell you, hey, something is wrong. I mean, talking into like specifically what goes on with stenosis, just some of the common symptoms are going to be a lot of nerve related symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, thinking about your tingling, your numbness, your radiating pain, uh, weakness that you might feel down the legs. Absolutely. It's a, again, we're, we're reducing the amount of messages that go nerve related. And again, our vessels that are not able to get down to the legs as easily or even into the arms as easily. So again, we might be feeling some of those insufficiency where we're not getting blood down there, different like disorders of like cold hands and feet. Like you could even experience something like that, the numbness, the aching, yeah. I mean, all of that type of stuff. And it's going to pop up a lot more often when people are walking long periods of time. Uh, some One little concept that I want to talk through quick is extension and flexion of the spine. Yes. When we go into, if you kind of arch your back and go into extension, especially in your low back. Or anterior pelvic tilt. Think of like yeah, that, that kinda, tilting of that pelvis forward. Absolutely. You're actually going to be causing slightly less space or creating less space in both of those, those like lateral neuronal foramen and your central canal. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people will feel some sort of relief when they posterior pelvic tilt or round that low back. You know, a lot of times if you just, if people will feel this when they're standing or walking for long periods of times and if they just sit down 
that will relieve their symptoms. And that's yeah. a hallmark sign of a stenosis type uh, diagnosis. Yeah, exactly. Or you feel like multiple times throughout the day, you need to bend down and kind of feel like you're stretching your hamstrings. But really what you're doing is you're allowing a little bit of relief. And so what a lot of people say that this is like a flexion or extension based diagnosis, right? Because yeah. going into extension actually hurts it. And so we need flexion based treatment in order to kind of help. And so that's where people talk about core exercises coming into play mm -hmm. a lot of like, oh, well, if I train the core, because when people think core, which we've gone over this in the past, core isn't just your abs. It's not just your stomach, right? No. But this is why it gets categorized like, oh, if you're having spinal stenosis, just do core exercises because it's more flexion and it's going to help to relieve some pressure. And it can, but we need to talk about a lot more than just, you know, laying on your back and doing some core quote-unquote core exercises. <laughs> yes, because if you just sit there and lay on your back and do core exercises, that, that really does nothing to help you learn how to walk better or yeah, longer distances. Exactly. While maintaining that core. So yes. it has to be a much more applied approach Yes. where we teach people how to get that core stability while mm -hmm. they're maybe in a position on their back and then start to move your arms and legs without losing that core integrity. Uh, I go back to my my old guys, my old farm guys from Minnesota who just would constantly talk about when they're working or when they're in the field and they, that's, they would get the symptoms. And I would just say like, hey, just stand there, put your hands on your hips. And they would laugh at me because they're just like, this is stupid. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they, I would just say, just squeeze your butt, squeeze your butt and go and uh. breathe out. <laughs> and lo and behold, like they'd walk out and they'd be like, okay, whatever. I kind of kind of felt something in my low back doing that. And, yeah. and then they'd be like, man, I've just been doing this all the time. Whenever I stop to, you know, feed the animals or whenever I'm, when I was standing, waiting to, to get the elevator to come up to your office or whatever, I was sitting there squeezing my butt and yeah. breathing because it helps you get a little bit more of that posterior tilt and breathe to functionally engage that core when you're in a standing position. Exactly. And when we talk about core, we have to realize that it it does include the back a little bit and it does include the hips and down to the pelvic floor and the breath. So like incorporating the breath into all of that, that whole practice right there just allows that entire connection of your core canister, which is really from like the shoulder blades down to that pelvic floor, allow it to work together and engage. And that's where we really want to look at like, okay, how am I holding my postures? Now, we don't want to be in one posture forever not either. Not a machine, right? not a tin soldier. We're not trying to like, oh, let me just stand in posterior pelvic tilt now and walk around like this. Like, no, we're just trying to gain better awareness of where I typically hold myself and what can I do to gain better strength and activation from my hips, pelvis, and core area itself all the way up to the shoulder blades so that I can walk better, so I can carry myself better. And we know that, you know, a study in from 2020 looked at like if if someone goes and they get a really well-designed physical therapy program individualized for themselves, it's actually better than going straight to surgery. Yeah. And I think that in distilling a lot of the research down that we looked at, it said that, you know, moving away from this surgical or very invasive option as the first option 
and starting to explore some of these conservative methods, even, you know, manual work, kind of like we talked about the inversion table. Manual work is not the fix. If you're just going in and getting manual work or massages or whatever three times a week and nothing else, that's as that's as effective as that useless inversion table table that you were talking about. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But when you when you combine a great manual therapist, so who has great hands to reduce some of those symptoms with that targeted exercise based approach that turned out to be very effective. Well, and with that, like if we combine that manual therapy and we do individual exercises, like they even did a study that looked at using manual treatment, combining that with individual exercises that the individual needed rather than just group exercises or rather than just, you know, getting medical care and getting anti-inflammatories. We actually saw better short-term relief and long-term relief with, especially with walking, which is what we talked about, right? We want to get back to walking, standing, doing our everyday activities, feeling better. So when you added the manual therapy with the individualized exercises, we saw better outcomes, both short-term and long-term. And one of the main things, too, that we noticed as far as the takeaway from the research was that activities that helped promote reduction of fear... And just reduction of fear around these behaviors of walking and standing. So even getting into like a community walking program (laughs) is something that at the end of that, they noticed huge increases in walking distances before onset of symptoms, Mm -hmm. which that's ultimately what we're looking for when somebody's maybe getting getting older, getting later in life. And it's like, what do you really want to do? What is this preventing you from doing? It's, oh, it's preventing me from going to the Texas State Fair and walking around (laughs) with my family for, you know, I have to sit down and people need to sit and wait for me because I just need to sit for 20 minutes before we go again. Like it helps to reduce your fear of going somewhere and being the limiting factor for your social group. So I think that anything that isn't speaking into that, oh, this is something that we need to take care of. This is something that we need to fix with surgery or something very invasive. If we take it a different, if we take a different approach and go with some of these more conservative methods, Mm-hmm. The outcomes can be much better. Yeah. And now, you know, talking about what we recommend, especially in avoiding something like spinal stenosis or, uh, you know, really treating this and looking at the entire picture. Well, we know what kind of if I want to look at like a very broad spectrum, you know, I, I first want to also see just what I'm putting in my body, because we do know that what we put in our body in the environment and stressors, which you know, certain foods can have a stress response on our body. Oh, yeah. We have to realize that that's going to increase those symptoms that I feel. So especially nerve-related symptoms and especially, which this is, this gives you those nerve-related symptoms. If I want to reduce some of that inflammation in my body and allow that even, it's going to help to allow space. Like inflammation takes up space. So if I want to reduce some inflammation, I Mm. have to address what I'm putting in my body and I have to address how I'm how I'm combating everyday stressors in my life as well. Yeah. And that's one thing we talk about a lot is how to combat everyday stress. And one thing that we talk about a lot (laughs) as a solution is the breath. That's one thing we brought up. We talk about dynamic core stability. There's no way, no better way to have dynamic core stability throughout your day than coming back to a nice big nasal inhale and long extended exhale and I like to do that even with resistance against like a or a 
you know, like you're breathing out a straw or breathing within like a snake, it's going to give you some resistance to engage all of those core muscles, regardless of what position you're in. If you're reaching for something, if you're squatting and picking something up, walking, taking some of those deep breaths, it's going to help bring the stress out of your upper chest and neck, engage that core for some dynamic stability and help you be on your way. Yeah, exactly. And then we we also want to look at, yeah, we do want to look at restrictions in the body and mobility. It's still going to be so important, right? And there's never a wrong time to start looking at it. Like even if it's like I've never stretched in my life and I've only, you know, been active, then great. Like we have an opportunity now to dive in and explore some other things. So getting some like active hamstring stretches, which I've shown a ton before, getting some hip mobility, getting some upper back mobility as tolerated, but like improving those areas, especially when we say that the low back and the neck are the places that kind of take this stenosis a little bit more. Well, then how can I work on opening up that upper back so that I can take some pressure off Mm. of that low back and that neck, right? And so improving mobility, getting into that core, getting getting strong where you might be weak. So we talk about muscle activations, You know, I mean, all of this stuff is just so important to start to, there's never a wrong time to continue to explore your body and learn. Yeah. that's the process we talk about. And a lot of these things is we need to gain mobility first, get mobility. And this is really something that's hips to shoulders. Mm -hmm. We need to be looking at when we're talking about spinal stenosis specifically and the rest of the body, of course, but that's where it starts. Gain the mobility you need in the hips, shoulders, upper back, and then find a way to have dynamic stability throughout that range of motion. 100%. And last thing, uh, we do need to change our positions more frequently. There's no one posture that we're trying to gain. I mean, just like Dom talked about with like using your breath and going into posterior pelvic tilts and kind of squeezing your glutes, you know, like that's that's dynamic, frequent change. Same with your story with Brendan Bruchard. Like his, yeah. his solution was, hey, keep the body moving. Yeah. Keep the body moving. It's not going to have time to sit <laughs> in one position and think, oh, I'm feeling pain now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. All about spinal stenosis and what you might be able to do about it or just some more information about how to approach something like that that might be going on in your own life and your body. Again, a great thing to do would be looking into that Kobo board to help get those glutes a little more active. Check out that link in the show notes and use code OPTIMAL for 15% off at checkout. Otherwise, we will see you on future episodes of the Optimal Body Podcast.